Well, good evening. Welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for doing the check-in process. And if you haven't done it, we're actually gonna ask you to get up and go back out to the foyer and check in. Let me tell you why, what we're doing. Um, we noticed this rhythm going all the way back. I don't know if y'all remember, but in 2020, we had this really disruptive thing called COVID. And it just changed the way people did relationships, changed the way people connected. And as we all started coming back to church in the years after, we also had the launch of three new congregations out of Mosaic Fellowship, Bentonville, Samaritan Rogers, and Samaritan Springdale. And we just lost touch of each other in a really profound way. And so one of the things a year ago we started praying toward was that we would just reorient ourselves to the Lord, to each other, and to our mission over the next year. And so part of that reconnecting with each other is we're wanting to focus on connecting with each other in May. Just making face-to-face -face connections with who all is here, who calls Mosaic home. And so we're gonna, for the next three weeks, we're kind of just, we're gonna wear name tags to church so we can see who's here and connect names with faces. We're gonna get all of our database stuff updated. So we've got notebooks with everyone who's on our roster here, and we're asking people just to check in and say, yes, that's who I am and I'm here. And it's all gonna culminate at the end of the month with our big Memorial Day picnic um, that we're gonna celebrate together. We'll have just one service at five o'clock and then go out there and have fun in the, in, the, uh, in the evening together. So I ask you, if you haven't had a chance to check in and get a name tag, if you would be willing just to go out there and do that, that'd be super helpful. And we're gonna delay the start of service for a few minutes to let everybody go through that process. So here's what I challenge you to do. Take this time, instead of just sitting and looking at the stage waiting the service to start, go say hi to someone. Go introduce yourself. You have a name tag so you don't have that social barrier to get over. And say hi, connect a little bit, talk about uh, what you have coming up this month, and let's get to know each other a little bit. We are the body of Christ together, and so we want to connect names to faces and start getting to know each other again. So get up and go mingle. See? 
sin when desire overwhelms and our flesh gives in you will hold us up by the power of your love your word stands firm we will stay Desire overwhelms and our flesh 
Well, good afternoon, Mosaic family. I love all the chatter that I'm hearing. This is exciting. Uh, who here met somebody new? Anybody you never met before? That's exciting. Uh, if you've never met me, my name is Kyle, Kyle Jackson. My wife, Meredith, was out there working at the table to the far right. And then I have a son named Graham who goes here in the, the kids section. But I would love to take the time to introduce uh, some of the, the people on stage as well. So this is Mary Beth. Uh, you guys have probably seen her around for a while. She's one of our worship leaders. We love having her around the team. This is Kristen George. She loves uh, getting to sing. You're a student at JBU, right? Very cool. Um, and this is Murray Smart playing bass tonight. And this is JT Loveless, fun fact, uh, brother to Mary Beth Loveless playing cajon for us tonight. Um, and then this is Andy. Fullerton, I almost forgot your last name. I am so sorry, Andy. Andy has been a longtime Mosaic uh, friend, and he's jumping back into things. And then this is Anne Pequeno on the... I told her earlier, do you prefer fiddle or violin? And she said, I don't know. So I call it a fiddle because I'm from central Arkansas. So she's playing the fiddle tonight. But hey, thanks for participating in our new uh, thing we're trying out for the month of March. I think it's going to serve our church body well. Um, I just want to go ahead and focus our attention on Christ, uh, King Jesus, tonight. Um, and I want to read a quote from a great theologian, uh, J.I. Packer. And it won't be on the screen, um, so just listen closely. Tonight we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're anything like me, the Holy Spirit has just been a confusing part of trying to learn uh, theology and what it means to be a Christian and how he interacts with us. But this is a very helpful analogy and picture. So he talks about the ministry of a floodlight, the Holy Spirit being a part of a floodlight ministry. So here's his quote. 
And when floodlighting is done well, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. You're not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize the dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Does that make sense? That, that brings a lot of clarity to mind as I think about how the Holy, Holy Spirit um, is to work. And then he, he clears it up later with this quote. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but it's always, look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. So we get to actually experience this in the moment now. This is not something that's going to happen or that has happened uh, in the past. This is our reality. So the spirit is working and moving inside of our body inside of this room, and he's pointing, trying to point your eyes to Christ. So would you give him your attention tonight? And as we prepare our hearts to worship, let's read our offering prayer. Would you stand and read this with me? Let's say it together. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen.
Can we just sing this chorus one more time with all you've got? family. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with sexual addiction, codependency, pride, and food issues, and my name is Michael. Hey, everyone. Got some CR fam in here. Uh, I'm on staff with Fellowship uh, with our Friday Night Rogers Celebrate Recovery congregation. Been coming to Mosaic since 2017 and help with worship occasionally and serve in our cell group, so really glad to be here. My name is Mary Beth, married to Michael. Um, I've been around Mosaic for about 10 years, um, really thankful for the people um, and all the teaching that's in this space. Everybody's just really kind. Um, I'm a grateful believer, and God's changing my life more and more every day. So we're going to be reading Acts 1, 1 through 11. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a time of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, thanks, Michael and Mary Beth. Y'all can take a seat. As we, as we gather to celebrate and worship together, um, I also want to remind us of, of some other gatherings that are going on right now. We've got... 
kids gathering to worship the Lord and grow together in small group. We've got a gathering of moms happening right now just to connect with each other and build relationships. And we've got 60 men out on the Buffalo River uh, talking about what it means to walk with the Lord in holiness together and worshiping together. And so can we just take a moment just to pray for all of the expressions of Fellowship Mosaic taking place right now um, in this room and beyond. God, um, I thank you that your spirit does connect us to each other even when we're physically not present. Uh, And I pray for every expression, every gathering, little kids learning to follow you, moms making connections, men that are learning learning to walk together in holiness and healing, and us gathering here in this room tonight to talk about the mission that the risen Jesus has given us. Uh, Lord, I pray that in all things, that by your spirit, we'll continue to be made more like you, made more conformed to who you are, and uh, that you'll transform us to be the people that, that you made us to be for your glory and for our joy. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So hey, as we, uh, as we continue in this risen series, we're taking a look at, at what Jesus said and did in the days after his resurrection as he launched his church and prepared them for the global mission that extends even to this day in what we're a part of. And so just to kind of remind you of of where we've been in the first four weeks, we started with a a look at just the fact that Jesus was risen, the surprise that it was to his disciples, and him showing up in the the upper rooms, them improving himself by having a snack of fish to show like, I'm really physically here. We've talked about the, the challenge of doubt and the fact that that even though we might sometimes say, man, it'd be so much easier if I could see it in person, that the disciples at the time who saw Jesus doubted, even seeing him in the flesh. This is hard to believe. When God does incredible things, that can be hard to believe. And that's a normal part of growing in faith is to deal with doubt. And we saw that despite the doubt, in the middle of their doubt, Jesus gave them a mission. Last week, Natal walked us through the, the great commission to go out and make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation, that we would see people coming to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And tonight, we're gonna take a look at one of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples where he gave them the resources they would need to accomplish this mission. Uh, It's just a a good principle of leadership, right? If you're gonna hand a task off to somebody, you need to give them the resources they need to get the task done. And we're gonna see that Jesus did that for his disciples. So let's take a look at Acts chapter one, verse one, if you wanna go ahead and turn there. And uh, what, what's happening in Acts chapter one is really, I think is just from like a Bible nerd level, really cool, because the book of Acts is actually a sequel to the gospel of Luke. Now, when, when we organized our Bibles, we, I didn't do it, but somebody else did, when they organized the New Testament, they put the four gospels that tell the stories of the life of Jesus together, and then the book of Acts after that. And the book of Acts tells the stories of what the followers of Jesus did after he ascended. And so that separated Luke and Acts in the actual Bible that we hold, but they were written to be volume one and volume two. And you can see that in the way Luke starts the story. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, if you were to read Luke chapter one, the gospel of Luke is also written to Theophilus. So the idea here seems to be, uh, writing books was really expensive back in these days, that somebody, probably somebody with money, who was, Theophilus is a Greek name, so it's probably a Gentile believer, somebody who's not Jewish, has started following Jesus, and he probably has some doubts. He's probably struggling with how to understand his faith, and so Luke, who is somebody who traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys, Theophilus is kind of like a sponsor who said, hey Luke, would you do some research? 
and document everything that you've learned from your time traveling with Paul, everything about the life of Jesus, so that people like me can be more confident about what we're, what we're believing. And that's exactly what Luke did. And so the first volume is the Gospel of Luke, and now we get to the second volume. And, and Luke says, hey, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And that's, in fact, exactly where Luke chapter 24 ends, up, ends off, is with him ascending. And he says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, that sound familiar? What Luke's doing here, this is like the previously on at the beginning of a TV show. He's literally giving like a recap of how the gospel of Luke ended. And so you could actually read the end of the gospel of Luke and see, oh, that's exactly what he's doing. He's going point by point through how that gospel ended. At one point, while they were eating together, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke picks up here because that is kind of the, the odd ellipses at the end of the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, in, in many ways, so much seems to, all the loose ends seem to be tied up. Jesus died, he rose again, he's the Lord, he gathers his disciples, and he, he instructs them and he commands them to go out and preach. But then there's this odd little note, but don't start, he says at the end of Luke, don't start the mission until you receive what the Father promised. Wait in Jerusalem. And that's how Luke ends. It's this, this odd cliffhanger that the mission cannot start until they receive what the Father promised. What did the Father promise? What, what do they have to wait for? And so that's exactly where Luke picks up the book of Acts, is right where that gospel left off. There's something the disciples need before they can go start the mission of preaching about Jesus. And so Luke is reminding us where we are, dropping us right back in that there's something they need. And this might seem surprising to us, but to a Jewish person who knew the Hebrew scriptures, this would have made perfect sense. Because in all of the prophets that talk about the day that the Lord is gonna come restore Israel, one of the number one expectations is that God would give his spirit to his people. If we were to do a survey of the Old Testament and look at the promises of God coming and restoring his people, going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, what we'll see is there's this theme that shows up over and over again. God is really good. He's given people perfect directions for how to live, and they are unable to do it. That would be one way to sum up the Old Testament story. God is good. He gave good instructions, and people failed. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, that happens. And every time that happens, there's this refrain. For people to be transformed, they're gonna need the Spirit of God living inside them. In Deuteronomy, God says, you're not gonna be able to keep the law until God gets inside your heart and changes you. In the book of Ezekiel, it describes the people as being like a valley of dry bones that God's gonna bring life into. And they have a heart that's made of stone and God's gonna need to give them a heart of flesh, a new heart by bringing the, the spirit upon them. Jeremiah talks about writing the law on the heart. So everyone in the first century when Jesus came, when they're thinking of what is Messiah gonna do, 
when he rebuilds Israel. One of their expectations is he's going to bring the Spirit. And at this point, that is the one big messianic expectation that Jesus hasn't done. He showed up, he presented himself as king, he fulfilled so many of the prophecies, he died and rose again. But he hasn't brought the Spirit. And so at this moment, Jesus says, he brings the Spirit back up, and he says, okay, wait in Jerusalem and you're gonna receive the Spirit. And the disciples have a response that makes perfect sense in the way that they've been taught to think about the coming of Messiah. They say in verse six, it says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, if you've heard teaching about Jesus and, and the gospels and what he did and how the disciples responded, you've probably heard people say before that they were expecting Jesus to come and set up a kingdom on earth to deliver Israel from Rome and to rebuild the kingdom of Israel in all its glory. They were devastated when instead of defeating Rome, he let Rome crucify him on a cross. And it's, it's ironic to see here, even after he spent 40 days teaching them about what's to come next, when he mentions the Spirit, their thought is, okay, finally, that's what we've been waiting for for our kingdom on earth. And that's where their mind immediately goes. Now, some people have concluded, based on Jesus' response, that they were wrong to expect a kingdom on earth. I actually don't see anywhere where he corrects the expectation of restoring Israel. He doesn't say, you idiots, why haven't you figured out that I'm not gonna build a kingdom? What he says instead in verse seven is it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. What Jesus is doing here is he is taking this expectation. There's this package deal that everyone in Israel expected would come together when God finally showed up in Israel. Messiah would come, he would forgive sins, he would bring the Spirit, and he would establish the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus is saying that last expectation of the kingdom of God on earth, I'm not gonna tell you when that's gonna happen. And it's not even your concern. Now that should tell us something really interesting about all of the websites and books that are trying to track world events and see if you can predict when the coming of the kingdom of God is gonna happen, Jesus says that's not, of your, and that's not of any interest to you. Trying to figure out the timing is not your job. It's going to happen. God is going to come back and establish the kingdom of God on earth. But figuring out when he's going to do that is not for us. So take your eyes off of that. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the, the focus of the disciples on God building a kingdom on earth, and he's gonna redirect them to what their task is. And that redirect is crucial for the church today. Because there's another aspect that's happening here that I think is really, really important for us to get right. If following God so that he would establish a national kingdom of Israel is not where our focus should be, how much less should following God so that he will establish whatever nation we live in, in glory, okay? That means that the mission of the church is not to see the United States of America glorious and blessed, or the United Kingdom, or China, or Argentina, or whatever country you're in. 
Blessing and building up nations is not the mission of God in this time period. There will come a day when he will return and build his kingdom on earth. Now, hear me. Am I saying that you shouldn't care about the United States? Am I saying that you shouldn't love your country, you should be anti-patriotic? No, I'm saying none of those things. I'm just saying we have to be really careful that we don't conflate the mission of God with the mission of making the United States blessed. Just like there are people in here that work at all kinds of great corporations in Northwest Arkansas and, and, and run small businesses. Should you want your business to succeed? Sure, absolutely. Should you want to live your life at your business in a way that honors the Lord? Absolutely. Would you even pray that God would make your business successful? Absolutely. And we would never say that it is the mission of the church to make Christian businesses economically thrive. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to make us all Jesus followers so that we are a blessing wherever we live, work, and play. And we bring the love of Christ into those spaces. So the mission of the church is to create Jesus-following disciple makers who are going to be a blessing in the nations in which we live. Does that make sense? There's an important redirect away from a nationalistic hope for Israel toward the gospel witness that Jesus is giving his disciples. And that is a really important, I think, refocus here. So he says, rebuilding the nation of Israel, bringing the kingdom of God, that is not where your focus is meant to be. And then there's a but in verse eight. But instead, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus takes their eyes off of Israel and puts their eyes on the world. Now, there's a couple of things I want to break down in this because this little section right here is, is the controlling verse for the whole book of Acts that tells really what the purpose of the church is going to be. And one of the first things that we, I think we have to understand about this verse, Acts 1.8, is that when we read it in the context of the book of Acts, it is a historical statement. Here's what I mean. It's describing an order in which things are going to happen. And we'll start with the, the geography one. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What he's doing is he's describing the city that where they are in, you're gonna be a witness right here in Jerusalem, and then you're gonna go out to the region of Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now, I have often heard it taught that we should think, what is our Jerusalem? Well, maybe our Jerusalem is northwest Arkansas, and our region might be the state of Arkansas, and then we go from there to the ends of the earth. I don't think the purpose of this verse is to reorient it around where we are in northwest Arkansas. Do you know what our Jerusalem is? Jerusalem, okay? And I've, I, someday I need to actually do this, but I suspect that if I put a dot on Jerusalem and went to the other opposite side of the world, we might be pretty close to Northwest Arkansas. In this list, where are we right now? The end, this is the ends of the earth, guys. That's where we are. What I believe this is, is this is giving phases of the mission. Phase one Jerusalem, and in fact, that's where the first few chapters of Acts focus. 
Phase two, Judea and Samaria. Phase three, ends of the earth. So what phase of the mission is the church in today? Ends of the earth. This is giving phases of the Christian mission, not, I don't think, a personal orientation for how to see the world. So I think what that means is, we are to understand the purpose of the church today is to see the name of Jesus worshiped in every pocket of humanity. Wherever worship of Jesus is not happening, we are meant to bring the gospel there. So that means a village in Northeast Africa that's never heard the name of Jesus, we need to bring the gospel there. That means a neighborhood in East Rogers where people don't know the name of Jesus, we need to bring the gospel there. A team at Walmart filled with people who don't know the gospel, we need to bring the gospel there. The idea is that we are in a phase in the mission of God that seeks to have the name of Jesus known everywhere on earth where it is not. And that's where our entire church is in the history of the mission today. And that is the driving impulse of what we are here to do. The second thing I wanna talk about is the word witness. Because that word has taken on a a popular meaning in the church that's all good and well, but I don't think it's actually what Luke had in mind when he said this word. The word witness, as it's used here in the book of Acts, means somebody, it means very similar to what we would say in a courtroom today, right? When you bring in an eyewitness, why are they there? Because they've seen something that they can validate as true. So when Jesus is sending them out and he says, you are gonna be my witnesses, what are they witnesses to? his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. This is an important part of our story that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus that were sent all over the globe to tell the story. So in one really profound sense, we are not witnesses in the sense that the apostles were in Acts 1-8. Unless somebody has a story I don't know about, no one in here witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus with their own eyes. So the question then becomes, how are we supposed to take the message of Jesus if we don't have, how are we to, how are we to fulfill Acts 1-8 if none of us are eyewitnesses? Well, the whole point of our New Testament is that the eyewitnesses wrote their account down. So the resource that we have is to take the message of the eyewitnesses to the nations in the scriptures that we now have been entrusted with the apostles' witness in the New Testament to tell people the story of what Jesus has done and what he is doing in the church. We have the, the resource of the witness, and the part I really wanna focus on is we have the resource of the Holy Spirit. After all of the training, after three years of being personally apprenticed by Jesus, Jesus still looked at his disciples and said, don't do a single thing until the Spirit comes up because it'll be a train wreck if you try. Okay? You ever had that kind of instruction from somebody when they, you, they take you and they say, just don't touch anything because you'll break it. Right? Um, I really love playing guitar and I need some work done on one of my guitars and I'm terrified to, t- to try any of the work myself because I know what would happen. I would ruin my guitars and so I wanna hand it over to a professional. And what Jesus is saying at this point is, don't try to be a witness for me yet because you're not ready. What did they need? Did they need more teaching? 
Did they need more training? The thing that they need is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to come be with you and to empower what you are gonna do. And this is one of the primary stories of the book of Acts that we're gonna see if we were to go through the whole book of Acts is the Holy Spirit turns these men and women who had previously been incompetent witnesses into powerful witnesses. You can see at the night of Jesus' crucifixion, at the first threat of trouble, what did they do? They scattered and ran. Peter, who literally betrays Jesus and says he never knew him, is going to become someone who's willing to die for the name of Jesus and does in fact die for his witness. What will create such transformation in character in Peter? Think about that. Peter spent three years at the feet of Jesus learning and the change still hadn't happened until the Holy Spirit came into Peter's life and began to change him. The Spirit is necessary for the transformation that has to happen in their lives. And that remains true for us today that apart from the work of the Spirit of God among us, we are incapable of doing what God has called us to do. And I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on how that applies to our church. When I hear from people feedback about our congregation, one of the things I hear a lot is that we don't put a proper emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And I've wrestled with that a lot. And I wanna understand how that change needs to take place and what we're missing. Um, And so I've really just been trying to to read through the New Testament, listen well to other people to understand where, where should the emphasis be and what might we be missing. And there's a couple of things that I've become convinced it's not. One is that I'm convinced that it is not that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to show up in our church in a way that he hasn't before. Here's why. That language of asking the Spirit to come or to fall down is nowhere used in the New Testament after Acts chapter two. That's the second part of this passage that is historical. Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come in chapter one, and you know what happens in chapter two? He comes. The Holy Spirit shows up and fills the church, and the story of the rest of the New Testament is not them waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. The Holy Spirit is there. And so, The need for churches that are following Jesus, as I read the New Testament, is not that we need the Holy Spirit to show up for us. It actually seems to be that we need to acknowledge he is here and we need to show up for him. That we need to show up ready to be used by the Spirit. Sometimes I think that language of I just, I don't know why the Holy Spirit won't show up can give the impression that maybe God's holding out on us that for some reason you can, it can almost turn into a manipulative kind of language. Like if we sing loud enough, if we sing passionately enough, then the Holy Spirit will decide to show up. And what I see in the New Testament is a promise that the Spirit of God is with us always, that he will never leave or forsake us. And so I think the issue is not that the Spirit is neglecting us. I think it's that we're neglecting him and that we need to come prepared for his work. The second thing I don't think it is is I don't think there's some secondary spirit activity that we need to be doing other than praising the Father and seeking Jesus. I love that section from J.I. Packer that Kyle read earlier. The Holy Spirit is doing a floodlight ministry, which means the Holy Spirit is pointing people's focus on Jesus, 
Nowhere in the New Testament do we find any commands to fix our eyes on the Spirit. It's not there. Who are we told to fix our eyes on and throughout the New Testament? Jesus. And sometimes when we hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, they talk about him a little bit like he's the younger brother who's always a little annoyed that big brother gets all the attention. As if like we're singing to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's hanging out in the back corner pouting about why we don't ever sing about him. And I don't see that in the New Testament. What I actually see over and over again is the Spirit pointing our eyes to Jesus. So I don't think we need to have some sense that there's a competition in our loyalty or our affection between loving Jesus and loving the Spirit. The, the Spirit seems delighted for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so I was, this is not a comprehensive survey at all, but I was just asking the question, what pleases the Spirit? If the Spirit is not asking us to fix our eyes on him, what are the kinds of things that a Spirit-filled church would be focused on? And from a quick survey of the New Testament, here are a few things that stood out to me. The Spirit loves to enable us to worship the Father. The Spirit is here to equip us to know our Heavenly Father in an intimate and personal way. And the Spirit is delighted by our love and obedience to Jesus. The Spirit loves to see people who adore Jesus and yield their life to him. And one of the things you'll see over and over again, whenever you see reference to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, somewhere in the neighborhood of that verse is going to be something about the love and unity in the body of Christ. The Spirit loves to see us love each other well. The Spirit leads us into truth. So the Spirit is delighted when we speak the truth, and the Spirit brings transformation in our hearts. The Spirit loves seeing people changed to be more like Jesus. And so if we're asking what does the Spirit want us to focus on, I think these are the kinds of things that a New Testament church should be focusing on to see the Spirit at work. And I actually think these are the kinds of things we focus on well here. So as I've been reflecting on what might be out of step at times in my own life from the pattern of the New Testament, I don't think it's necessarily that we're focusing on the wrong things. But a pattern I see in the New Testament that I think is missing for me personally, and I'm gonna suggest might be something for us to work on as a church, is simply acknowledging our need for the Spirit and giving gratitude to the Spirit. One of the things I see happening over and over again in the New Testament is anytime God does something powerful in a congregation or in a church, very regularly you're gonna see, I'm thankful for the Spirit at work in you. I'm thankful that the Spirit of God is there. And what I wanna challenge us as a congregation to do is to be a congregation that in our language more readily admits, I can't do this on my own. I need the Spirit of God. And when something powerful happens, whenever people's lives are changed, whenever a community group is just really kind and comes around and loves someone well, that we would just say out loud, thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing us together. Not that we need to do something different than a church should be doing, but that we need to be the church that acknowledges it is the Spirit of God who is at work all the time. That we would regularly be acknowledging our need and our gratitude that the Spirit empowers the mission. It's not, a Spirit-filled mission is not a different mission. 
It's simply a mission that acknowledges that it's the Spirit that makes it happen. The second important thing that happens in this passage that empowers the mission is that Jesus leaves. That might seem really surprising. It had to have been surprising to the apostles. Like as they are being led by Jesus and shaped by him for him to hop on a cloud and ride out of there. In verse nine it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Can you imagine that moment for them? They clearly, I mean, two minutes earlier they're saying like, okay, are you gonna build the kingdom now? And he says, no, in fact, the Holy Spirit's gonna empower you, see ya. And then he leaves. How in the world can the absence of Jesus physically with them be what they need to do the mission? There's another promise about what Messiah will do that we looked at back in Daniel that we need to be reminded of. Do you remember this from Daniel chapter seven a few months ago? When we looked to the Messiah, Daniel says, in my vision I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus had to leave because Jesus had to reign. He needed to take his place on the throne. And that is what the disciples, I believe, are supposed to understand from him ascending. Because look at Acts chapter seven. When Stephen, the first martyr, is dying for his faith, he looks into heaven and what does he see? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Look, this is what the Holy Spirit enables Stephen to see as he's dying. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Because Jesus ascended, he is now king of the universe. Someone like you and me. Someone who knows what it's like to be tempted, to struggle, to be human, to get a cold, is now sitting on the throne of heaven. And because of the Holy Spirit, we get to have it both ways. This is one of those funny dynamics in politics I always hear about whenever we send a representative to D.C., There's always this tension of, well, now they're becoming more like Washington and they don't remember where they came from, right? They don't really represent us anymore. Because of the Holy Spirit, we get to have God in heaven ruling and God with us, empowering us at the same time. Which means that the mission that we're sent to live is filled with God's authority and presence from beginning and end. It reminds me of one of the greatest basketball games I ever got to watch. It happened at a junior high student ministry retreat about 15 years ago. And there were two seventh grade boys who were very confident in their basketball abilities. And they showed that confidence regularly with their actions and their words. And we happened to have two leaders, one of whom was Matt Newman, who were former college basketball players. And they, the seventh grade boys, were talking trash to the college basketball players. And so the college basketball players said, yeah, that's great, pick your team. You pick your best three, we'll pick our best three, five on five this afternoon. Everything from camp canceled so that we could watch this game. The two seventh graders went and picked the other three most athletic kids at the camp to form their superstar team. 
the two college basketball players picked the three least athletic, most awkward kids they could and said, let's go. How do you think that game went? Those college basketball players literally controlled everything that happened on the court. This, I mean, come on, guys. Seventh grade boys literally couldn't get a shot off without these. I mean, these are two, like, one, I mean, Matt Newman's six foot seven, right? But you know what those two college players did? They controlled every aspect of that game so that they could give awkward kids an easy layup for points. Did those, did those three un, unathletic kids have any chance of ever winning that basketball game on their own? No. They didn't have the power and the resources to win that game. And yet because of the superior power and authority of two college basketball players, they controlled every aspect of that game so that the three younger kids could jump in the game and take shots knowing that somebody else had it under control. This is what it means to step into God's mission when Jesus is on the throne and the Holy Spirit is among us that God is with us for the world to empower our mission so that we can have the confidence and courage to step out and actually be a part of what God's doing, knowing that God has it under complete control. We could never accomplish anything without him, and yet because he is reigning on the throne and in our hearts, we get to be a part of what he's doing. And at the very end of this passage, the disciples are staring up into heaven like, where'd he go? And two angels show up and say, hey, why are you looking at the sky? He's gonna come back. Right now, you have work to do. And I think that driving the work and the mission we have is a confidence that the Holy Spirit is among us and Jesus is reigning over us. So I wanna give you a challenge this week. As you go about your week, watch your language and see what it would look like to regularly acknowledge, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need you to empower me for what I'm facing. And when you see God do something amazing in your life, or something simple, but something good, say, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you're here and that you're working and that you never leave or forsake us. Because Jesus reigns from his throne and empowers us by his spirit for the mission of disciple making. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your infinite wisdom that even though your plan did not make sense to the people you were revealing it to at the time and sometimes baffles us today, that you think of everything, that you have every angle covered, that you reign from heaven and you empower us here every day. Lord, I pray that we will be a church that relies on your spirit, that acknowledges your spirit with gratitude for what you're doing in our midst. I pray that we'll be a spirit that pleases, a church that pleases you. A church that your spirit is pleased to work in because we are about the things that you are about. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just praise King Jesus now.
so sure and steady my hope is held in your hands when castles crumble and breath is fleeting upon this rock i will stand upon this rock i will stand we sing this to him glory some different circumstances just ask where do you find yourself in these where's God working in your story where he needs to be better and bring your attention back to him let's sing this together in all my sorrows Jesus is better make my heart the victories in every victory Jesus is better make my heart believe any comfort
Take a moment to pause. Um, just take whatever posture um, you feel God leading you to take, standing, sitting. And these words won't be on the screen, um, but I'm gonna read some scripture over us that acknowledges the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. And if you're like me, it's, it's easy to go about life trying to do things on your own strength. So as we listen to the scripture and hear from God and sing a final song together, I just want you to take whatever moment you need to take with God to just really say, I need you. Because it's hard, it's hard to say, I need you to God sometimes to acknowledge our weakness, to acknowledge our brokenness. So I'm gonna read a couple of scriptures and then we'll start singing and you're welcome to stand when we start singing declare this as we head out. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Ephesians 3.16-19 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And in Acts 17, 24 through 28, we see that God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. you stand and sing with us.
I do. 
God, you're so good to us and so kind. We really need you and uh, we acknowledge your authority and your lordship in our lives. Thank you that you're the kind of God that desires to teach us how to love you, how to stay with you, that you don't give us a list of rules and requirements with, with no tools and, and no way out of our own cycle of striving. And thank you that we can depend on you and that your word says you'll never leave us or forsake us. Forgive us where we have chased other things to meet the needs that only you can meet. Help us to, to listen for you, to listen for the Spirit, to know your voice, know what you sound like, and give us the strength to obey. We love you and praise you and thank you that you're our King. Amen. Church, what a great night of worship. Hey, if you wanna connect with anybody, uh, we'll have our staff out in the foyer and we'd love to still uh, just get to know you uh, this, this evening. We'll have some more people coming in for the 6.30 service. So even if you see someone new coming in, just welcome them. Um, if you would like any prayer, we'll have prayer cards in the back for, for prayer requests. Uh, let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be, thanks be to God. See you next week, church.